Well, again, guys, good morning. Uh, thank you to Andrew for leading us in worship this morning. Man, that felt good. I uh, really appreciate that. Hey, we are in week three of our online services, and so we're hopefully just going to continue to get better at this. Uh, but today we have an actual service host, and so if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can uh, kind of just post in a little bit. You can set some comments if you have questions. But I would like to do a roll call, because uh, last week I know that we had people watching in uh, Holland, Michigan, Southern California. We had people all throughout uh, Colorado, Ohio, Indiana. So uh, good stuff, but let us know uh, where you're watching service, uh, service from this morning. And uh, just thank you so much again for tuning in with us. And I have a confession uh, to make, in, and it's this. I'm, I'm still getting used to preaching uh, in front of a camera. It's just not something that I am really used to. It's not my favorite thing to do. I'm just a relational people person, but we're going to do the very best job that we can. And I started to think about uh, throughout history, people have always used whatever format or whatever platform they've had, whatever's available to preach the gospel message. And so if you think about Jesus and what he did, you know, he would speak from a boat. He would speak from a hillside in a living room. Uh, he would use whatever he could to uh, get his message across. The Apostle Paul, uh, he would preach, uh, one time he preached from Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, a place that I actually got to go to uh, quite a while ago, uh, but I actually had communion on Mars Hill, and that was just a neat thing, but Paul used to preach from that, and so we're getting better at it. People will use microphones, megaphones, TVs, they'll fill stadiums, we'll use living rooms, whatever we can. Uh, to just proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, and we hope that it's beneficial for you. Uh, we really hope that you enjoy uh, this morning's service. Now, before I really dig in, there's a couple things. Uh, one is send somebody right now, wherever you are, uh, send somebody to go get some stuff for communion. Uh, at the end of the service, we're going to take communion together, and so we would love for you uh, to do that. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to just be praying. Uh, for other churches. In fact, I know a church down the street. Today is the very first online service that they're doing, and it's really outside of, of their comfort zone. So just lift up these churches. We're uh, trying to learn from one another, and so we'll get better at it. But hopefully uh, you've enjoyed your time so far this morning. Now, uh, that trip to Athens, Greece that I was just telling you about, uh, when I was there, I only got one thing, besides a bunch of euros. I mean, we ate a lot of euros, but the only thing that I brought home with me uh, was this marble chess set, and it was so cool. Now, I didn't play chess back then, but I just really thought it would be cool. And then when I came back, uh, they came out with the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. And I don't know if you guys have seen that movie, but just really enjoyed that. But I have a confession to make. I never learned how to play chess. And I've mentioned that to a few people this past week, and I get the dumbfounded look of, shame on you that you don't know how to play chess. And so I did what any person would do this past week. A few days ago, I watched a YouTube video of a guy uh, doing a five-minute tutorial on how to play chess. And so I watched it. And every once in a while, I would pause it, and I would rewind it, and it turns out that if you watch a five-minute tutorial on how to play chess, if you watch it ten times, you have a 50-minute video of how to play chess. 
And at the end of it, I felt like my head was going to explode. Uh, it was like somebody was trying to explain um, nuclear physics to me in five minutes. And I already knew how stupid I felt and I feel like I am. Uh, but at the end of the time uh, that I watched the five-minute video, Sarah, who does know how to play chess, uh, she said, you know, he did a really good job of explaining how to play chess. And I thought, man, you just poured steroids on top of what I already knew, which was I kind of felt stupid when it comes to chess. What I do know about chess is this. It's usually played by two people that are way smarter than me. And so I don't mind watching, but I don't really truly understand everything and all the moves, and I know there's a lot to it. But as we were getting uh, preparing kind of our minds and our hearts for Easter, the one thing that kept coming into my mind was a chess match. And so I have our king here that I stole from Carter Hutchison. So thank you, Carter. We couldn't fit the uh, entire chessboard on my table, but at least we have uh, the king. But I kept thinking about a chess match between God and Satan, between good and evil, light versus dark, this ultimate battle, uh, this showdown uh, that has been playing out uh, since the very beginning of time, it feels like. But who will ultimately win? Well, we already know who's going to win. If you've been following Christ for any amount of time, you know that we have victory in Jesus, that he is uh, the king that, that wins the battle, wins the war. But how will it play out? How is this all going to play out? See, when people play chess, they strategize. They think about their very first opening move, and they'll think about every single move that they make thereafter. And it's said that the people that are really good, they can see the board and they can see it over the next five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten moves. In fact, in the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer, there's this line where the grandmaster, his coach, uh, played by Sir Bing Kingsley. Uh, he, he's watching it on TV. He's watching the chess tournament on TV where young Josh is going against uh, this other young kid for the championship. And uh, all the parents and the coaches have been booted out of the room because they were uh, out of control. Parents don't do that, right? But his coach is watching it on the TV, and he sees the board and he sees that Josh sees the board too. And he says, it's there, Josh. It's 12 moves away, but you've got him. You've got him. See, Josh could see 12 moves away. And when you can see 12 moves away, that leads to victory. It, it gives you the advantage, and it led him to victory. And I started thinking about God. The cool thing about God is that God sees every move. He sees every move. He knows everything. In 1 John 3.20, it says, For wherever the heart, our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. He knows everything. So one thing that is important is that we understand that we serve a God who is an all-knowing God. He is an all-knowing God. He knows the moves that have been played out in the past. He knows the moves that are going to be played out in the future. He knows every single move that will be played. And it does not mean that he is an all-controlling God. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused sometimes. We think of God as an all-knowing God and an all-controlling God. But God does not control you. 
which is why we have free will in him. We get to choose how we live our life, which makes it special for him. Because think about it. If you didn't have the opportunity to choose to love him, would it really be the love that God desires to have from you? Put it in the context of marriage. If your spouse was forced to love you, would that feel like love? Well, it certainly would not. And it would not for God as well. And that's why it's so special for God when we choose to love him and to live our lives out for him. And so God allows us, and this is really cool too, God allows us to play our role and to choose our moves. In fact, you have an important role that he wants you to play in the game. But where did this all start? How did it all get started? How did the board get to the way that it is? And so from the beginning, the very beginning, from before that, there has always been God. And God had angels. And the angels were in the presence of God. And one of the angels had a falling out with God because he didn't want to serve the Lord. He didn't want to serve God. And that act uh, is basically what caused this this friction. Uh, And so he he didn't want to... uh, He didn't want to be below God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be equal with God. And Satan's first move in our chess match was not accepting the role that God gave him as an angel. He wanted the role of Lord. And that act of selfishness and greed is what started the game. And as usual, because I did learn this this week, evidently white or the lighter color goes first. Isn't it interesting that that's exactly what happens in this chess match? The light piece decides that the first move that he wants to make is to not be on this team anymore. And so that's how we end up with another side. And there's so much that we do not know. Uh, But there is a great chance uh, that there was an amount of time that Satan had where he was able to dwell on the earth and also have access to heaven. And where we get this from is that Satan was obviously here on the earth, slithering around, uh, slithering around in the Garden of Eden, uh, tempting Adam and Eve. But he, we also know that he had access to God, and we find that out in Job chapter 1. Uh, see what it says in verse 6 and 7. It says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. And Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. We also know that at some point in time, Satan no longer was dwelling up in heaven, that he was no longer there, that he was cast out along with a third of the angels. John records it this way in Revelation 12, verses 7 through 9. He says, Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and, he, and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Now, I obviously have a lot of questions for God. When I get to heaven, I've got on my list that I'm going to ask him. One of the questions that I have is, why earth? You know, why not cast 
Satan over on Pluto or Mars? And if it was going to be Earth, why not like just confine them to one spot? Like Oakland. We, I think we'd be okay with it being Oakland, right? So Satan can go to Oakland and he can hang out with the Raiders for the next couple months. But why Earth? It just seems like this would be a lot easier. But here's what Satan wants to do on the earth. And you're going to see it vividly. And this is where we come into play. He wants to convince you to have the exact same attitude that he has. That he had in heaven, where he could be Lord of his own life. He wants to convince you that you can be Lord of your own life. That you can make the decisions for yourself. And that you can serve yourself that you can worship yourself so he wants you to join his side he wants you to come over for his cause he wants everything that you do to benefit him and so when we go into the book of genesis what does satan do well he lures adam and eve uh, to eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden of eden the one thing that god said please don't do In fact, it was more than please, don't do this. And Eve tells the serpent when the serpent is like, hey, you should eat of the fruit. And she's like, no, because we will die if we do. And Satan convinces her that not not only will she not die, but she will actually become like God. And this is recorded in Genesis 3, verse 5. Here's what the serpent, the great deceiver, says to Eve. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And of course, you all know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve, they eat, they disobey God, they sin, sin enters the world. And then there's punishments handed out. Okay, This happens in our houses when our children mess up and they all come line up. And we're like, okay, whose fault was this? Well, it was obviously your fault and your fault and your fault. It was everybody's fault. And so God basically hands out punishments and he hands out a punishment for Satan. You're no longer going to walk. You're going to slither and some other stuff. He, the punishment for Adam and Eve. And then in verse 23, it says they are cast out of the garden of Eden. Now, did you catch that? In Revelation, Satan thought that he could be like God. And so God cast him out of heaven. In Genesis 3, Satan convinces Adam and Eve to have the same mindset that he had, to believe that they could be equals with God, and God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. This is also where we see the first act of grace. Because God did not destroy them, although they would die a physical, earthly death, but they still had the opportunity, as long as they were breathing, to get right with Him, to get right with God. It should be an encouragement for us to share the message with people who need to get right with God. Now, when, I, when we first read this on the story of Adam and Eve and their fall and their sin, A lot of us would be like, man, if only they hadn't screwed up, you know? If they hadn't sinned, we could all still be in the garden today, and it would be great. And my pushback on that is, really? You think that no one would have sinned between Adam and Eve and you and me? (laughs) 
I mean, they just ate fruit. Now, obviously, it was the fruit that God said, I do not want you to eat. But I think of all the sins that I've committed in my life. I think about all the sins. You think about all the sins you've committed in your life. Not only your life, just think in the past week, the things that we've done that probably did not honor God. They just ate fruit. Think about how quickly sin moves. It moves so fast. It becomes so easy to do when we take our focus off of God and we place it on ourselves. And we are shown how quickly it moves because the first generation ever to live on the earth, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They ate fruit. But their children, one generation later, start killing each other. Do you see how quickly sin moves in and destroys? And Satan, that's exactly what Satan wants. Satan knew what his opening move was, but guess who else did? God. God knew Satan's opening move on the earth, and he knows all the things that would follow. And so how does this all play out? Well, how is the game won? (laughs) In chess, uh, the game is won, or the game is over for somebody when their king goes down. That I do know. I don't know a whole lot more, but I do know that you want to protect your king, that the king is crucial, and that you want your king standing up. And so the game is over when you lose your king. But when you look at the board between God and Satan, you're going to notice a huge factor, and don't miss this. There's only one king on the board. There's only one king. Only one side has a king standing, which means that the game was over before it even began. And if there's only one king, then the other side can't win the game. It's impossible. Revelation 17, 14 says it together. They will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because He is the Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And His called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Let me read that again. Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and King of all kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. The best news is that Jesus is the King, and that he's not alone. He comes in three parts, God the Father, God Him, and God the Holy Spirit. And on the other side of the board, guess what? There is no king. There is no victory. And yet, Satan is still playing the game. And he's playing to win, even though we know he doesn't have a shot. But he is fighting to win the supremacy of your life and the supremacy of your soul. Now, two things I want you to think about when it comes to the way that Satan works. First of all is that he'll do what we would do as far as weaponry goes. He will use scripture Uh, just as one of the primary weapons that we will utilize. He is going to as well. And you'll notice in the New Testament, when he tempts Jesus, what does he use? He uses scripture. He goes to God's word and he will lie about God's word and he'll try to deceive you through it. And this is exactly what he did with Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus catches him on it. The second thing that you'll notice 
is that he is going to do everything he can to appear to be on your team. He's going to come uh, like a sheep in wolf's clothing, or a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, sorry. He's going to appear to be on your side. He wants to be your buddy. He wants to be your best friend. He wants you to build trust with him. But he is prowling around like a roaring lion, waiting to devour. And so I just want to encourage you to be on your guard because he's still playing the game. Let me end with this, because if we ended with that, that would be the worst ending to any sermon ever. But let me close with scripture uh, that is uplifting and should build some confidence and be encouragement uh, to us. And then I'm going to pray, and then we'll do a few things uh, before we give you your time uh, as a family. And again, we're going to look at the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, who spent a great deal of time, his earlier life, on one side of the chessboard, uh, working basically for the cause of Satan. And then at some point in time, he sees the king. The king is revealed to him. He changes his name. He shed off his old self. He puts on a new self in Christ, and he serves the kingdom faithfully till his last breath on earth. And this is what he records in 1 Corinthians, to the, his letter to the people of Corinth. In chapter 15, starting in verse 57, it says, But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Thank God that he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is king, and we can be assured that he will never fall and that we have victory in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather online in our homes, uh, maybe in our offices and living rooms, maybe even in our workplace, wherever that may be. But the honor that we have just to be able to gather together online to dig into your word and discover that there has been this game going on for a long time, but we know that we have victory in you because you delivered the king. So thank you. And this we ask in your name. Amen.